0: All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to be in the book of Numbers. And sometimes when you hear the book of Numbers, people start to cringe. They're like, oh no, not that book. All right, that's the book that is usually the, when you're trying to read through the, uh, the Bible in a year, you go Genesis, Exodus, you kind of squeak through Leviticus, and then you get to Numbers, and you're like, I'm out, right? I'm out. <laughs> so um, we are in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11, and I'll, I'll tell you where we're going here in just a minute. Um, but we're continuing our series uh, in the, the the Circle Maker. Um, and I, I had a friend, and uh, I'm looking at the time, so i got to be cognizant of this. I had a friend, I, I shared, was sharing with him uh, that we were doing something called The Circle Maker, and he freaked out because apparently drawing circles is a big part of witchcraft. And I assured him I was not teaching witchcraft. Some of you may think that I am sometimes, but... Um, Somebody mentioned voodoo in Sunday school today, and the first thing that popped in my head, essential oils. <laughs> essential oils. All right. It's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. All right. Um, but we're continuing our series, and today is in, this message is entitled Dreaming Big. Now, I think it's safe to say that all of us have hopes and dreams. All right. We all have things, particularly uh, those of us that might be on the younger side. Some of you that are uh, older than me, you have probably seen many of your hopes come true and many of your dreams happen already. Um, but all of us, uh, all of us have hopes and dreams. Like I want to see my children grow up. I want to see them be successful, and I want to see them marry. In the case of uh, in the case of the boys, I want to see them marry um, nice, beautiful Christian young women. And Kate, I want to see her um, not get married at all. I got, I'm not okay with that. I want to see Kate grow up and marry a a good Christian young man. And and, and, you know, I need to get better about it, but I'm already praying for the spouse that God is going to bring to my children. All right. I I don't do it all the time. I need to get better about it, but I'm praying that God will bring them the person that he wants them to marry so that they can, you know, have children, bless us with, with many grandchildren and, and all of those things. All right. Um, I, I want to see our church grow. I want to see us grow spiritually, and I want to see us grow numerically. And not because it makes me look good, right? I, I want to see us grow um, because it brings glory to God's name, right? As we grow, as more people come in contact with the gospel and become a part of our church, it brings more glory to God's name. But there are other dreams that I have that some people consider foolish, all right? One of them is I'm praying that God gives us a gift of $60,000. Right? I am praying for $60,000. And you're probably going, why in the world are you praying for $60,000? We have a piece of property behind the, house, behind the church here. It's got a, a busted up old house that nobody can live in. It's got you know, some, some land that, that we can't really do anything with because we owe $60,000 on it right? And, and I'm praying that God will give us that. I, we will own it free and clear, and we can start to expand our facility for the growth that God is going to bring to us. We can start to improve on that land. Now, I've mentioned this before, and some of y'all got mad at me. Some of y'all got like, like well, why do you want to pay it off so badly? Why are you talking about it all the time? I want to pay it off because that's, wh- because that's the dream that God has given to me. Um, and there are times where I will go over there, and I'll sit on the front porch And I'll pray and I'll ask God to pay for the property. I'll sit on the porch and and cars will drive by and you'll see people, I'll glance out of my eye, people will look out the window like, what's this dude doing sitting on that busted old house, right? Or uh, sometimes I'll go out there while while choir practice is happening or if I happen to be over here during the day and I'll go out and I'll walk circles around the building praying and asking God to send us a gift of $60,000 and people think it's strange. Why are you walking around that house? What are you doing? All right, um. Today we're going to look at what it means to dream big for the kingdom of God. Dreaming big and praying for big things is not about our, fulfilling our own desires. All right, I can pray that God will send me a million dollars, but if I'm praying for it because I just want a million dollars, guess what's going to happen? I ain't getting a check. Right? I'm not getting. I'm not getting an, a, a bag full of a bag full of money dropped off. It's about asking God about the things that He wants us to do for Him and for the body of Christ. And oftentimes those dreams are those things that seem impossible. Right? You get these dreams in your head, and if I tell somebody, I'm asking God to send us a check for $60,000, y'all look at me like, dude, what planet are you living on? $60,000 checks just don't show up. But guess what? In God's economy, it happens all the time. If we pray and ask God for those things, and and, and the reason that he sometimes gives us impossible things to dream about and pray for is because they're impossible for us. And that's the point. Because when God fulfills those impossible dreams and makes those impossible miracles happen, guess what we have to do? There's no way we can take credit for it. We have to give glory to God. And that's the point of all of that. So uh, we're going to look at God doing something impossible today. Uh, Numbers chapter 11. uh, Let's go ahead and we'll pray and then I'll read and we'll jump into it. Father, I ask that you'd be with our time now, Lord. I I know that uh, we're running short on time, so I pray that you'd help me to be concise, that I, I would be succinct and not go off on the rabbit trails as I sometimes do. But Lord, open our hearts and open our minds. Help us to be willing to dream big and to attempt the impossible, because it's only in the impossible that your name is glorified. Lord, I I pray that we would be different people as a result of being here today. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, Numbers chapter 11. Uh, Let me read it, and then I'll tell you the context of what's going on. It says this, The riffraff among them, that's a good word, right? Riffraff? The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, Oh, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish that we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. I hope they had toothbrushes. Yeah, that's, a, that's some, some rough breath right there. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to look at but this manna. So let me tell you what, what's happening here. Um, the, somebody's car alarm is going off. The, the, the children of Israel have been set free from captivity in Egypt, and for several hundred years, the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. They had gone down there um <laughs> man y'all would think you'd know your car alarm sounds me hey? okay, the car alarm anyway um. So they had been slaves in Egypt and they had been oppressed and they had been beaten and their children had been thrown to crocodiles. They'd been the victims of genocide. All of these horrible things had happened to them. And then at the appointed time, God sent Moses and Aaron and he said, Moses and Aaron, I need you to go to Egypt. It's time to get my people out of Egypt. We're going to the promised land. And so Moses and Aaron, they went to, they went in and they, they went to Pharaoh and they said, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, that ain't happening. And so through a series of miracles that God used Moses and Aaron to perform, including um, the, the last one, which was the death of all of the firstborn children in Egypt, Pharaoh finally said, look, I've had enough. You need to get your people and you need to get out of here. Right? And, and the children of Israel witnessed all of this. And then after they left, they went to the edge of the Red Sea. It's this is a massive body of water. And they look back, and Pharaoh and his army, they had to change the heart. They're like, yeah, our firstborn kids weren't, that, weren't worth all that much. That guy was kind of a bum, right? And so they're like, we need to go get our labor force back. And so the army is chasing down the children of Israel. And Moses walks up, holds his staff up in the air, and God parts the Red Sea. The water just splits so that the million-plus people, the children of Israel, walked through the middle of the Red Sea. And here's the, the best part of that. The ground wasn't even muddy. like They walked through on dry ground. I don't know if you've been to the ocean lately. The floor of the ocean is not dry. All right, It's not dry. If, if the water comes up on the shore and goes back, guess what happens? It's still wet. It sticks to your skin. They walked through on dry land. And then after all one million or two million or however many it was cross over, God said, all right, and dropped the water. The entire Egyptian army was caught in the middle of the ocean. Every single uh, member of the Israelites made it across free and clear. Then while they're out in the, wandering the desert, God provides food for them. Every morning they wake up, there is this miraculous food called manna, kind of tasted like coriander, which is a little bit spicy, that they could make into to bread and pastries and do all these kinds of things. It just showed up on the ground. Miracle after miracle and time after time, God provided for the children of Israel. And you know what they did? They griped and complained. Nothing was ever good enough for them. And he was feeding them. And, and, and so they started griping and complaining. And of course, because they were griping and complaining. Now, the, the word riffraff here, it's not talking about like the, the, the most prominent people. It's, it's usually the troublemakers, the ones that are kind of surly. Have like the the mom tattoos on their forearms. And if you have one of those, I apologize. (laughs) I'm just thinking, you know, stereotypes on cartoons and stuff. But um, they, they started complaining. And then the complaining spread to the rest of the children of Israel. And then, of course, once it spread to the rest of the children of Israel, guess who else started complaining? Moses started to complain. Because complaining is contagious, whining and griping is contagious. And when somebody starts complaining, it's going to spread through a group of people faster than the flu through my third grade classroom, okay? One person starts complaining, then this person over here, and the next thing you know, everybody is griping and complaining, and nobody is satisfied with with what God is doing. So Moses started complaining, but he took it one step further. Instead of just complaining to complain, he took his complaint to God, and he went to God and he said look all the people are complaining and they want meat and who am i to give them meat and and we can be thankful that no matter what no matter how we are responding to God <laughs> he hears our prayers right we can go to God and we can be upset and God hears our prayers we can go to God and we can praise him and he hears our prayers we can go to God and be angry And there are times where we are angry and we go to God, and you know what? He hears our prayers. All right? If somebody comes to me and they're angry, you know what I do? I immediately shut you out. Like, I don't want to hear you. You calm yourself down, then we'll talk. God's not that way. God hears our prayers, regardless of what it is. Moses went to God and asked for meat to feed the Israelites, and God answered his prayer. Now, we talked last week about circling our prayers and circling very specific prayers. Too many times our prayers aren't answered because our prayers are vague. And maybe they are answered, but they were so vague, we have no idea if it was answered the way we wanted it to or not. Other times we want to see God do something, but we aren't sure what it is that we want God to do. Right? We are like, God, we want to do something. And if He was to ask us, what do you want to do? We'd be like, I don't know, do something. Right? It's like that kid in the Incredibles where that Mr. Anyway, I'll explain it later. All right, it'll take too long. Have you ever felt that way? You want to see God move, but you don't know what that would look like. Here's how to solve that problem. Ask God to show you what it is that he wants to do. If you want to do something for God and you're not sure what it is, here's how you solve it. You go to God and say, God, I want to do something, but I don't know what it is. Show me what you want me to do. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to blow away your expectations. He's going, to, he's going to totally give you something that you did not anticipate. So what is the dream that God has given you? What do you believe that God is calling you to, to serve him and the body of Christ? Let me encourage you, and let me go a step further. Let me implore you to move forward with it, even if it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we get these thoughts in our heads and we're like, I want to do this. And you know what we end up doing? We overthink it, right? We start to overanalyze. We start to overanalyze. And I could get into all of the psychology of it because I've been reading books about it. Um, It's dangerous when I read books, by the way. Um, But we could get into all of the psychology. But what ends up happening is we overanalyze it and then we end up doing nothing, Ask God what it is that he wants you to do and then get ready because he's going to show you. And when he shows you, start taking the steps that you need to, to make it happen. There are a lot of things that don't make sense in man's economy, but make perfect sense in the eyes of God. If you read The Circle Maker, you're going you're to come across the story of a man, uh, and forgive me, I don't remember which country he went to. He went to, um, he went to a, an African nation, and while he was over there, he came across a young man who was, who was barefoot. And he felt impressed in his spirit to give the young man his shoes. So he took his shoes off and gave it to this young man, um, and then the, the, the boy said, Oh, well, thank you. Come here, let me show you where I live. And he took him down in the sewers. And there was a whole population of boys living in the sewers. I don't like sewers, but that's because I'm scared of clowns. But I can't imagine living in a sewer. Some of y'all are laughing about that. That, that is not a funny thing at all. All right? He, so while, after he saw this, he came back to the States and he was, he was like, I gotta do something. I gotta do something. He had a six-figure salary working in Washington, D.C., and he left that six-figure salary job to move to this African nation where he created a home to take care of these boys. He had no idea how he was going to pay for it. He had no idea where the funding was going to come from to take care of it. But here's how God answered that prayer. that Later that year, the church that he attended before he moved to Africa they released the, uh, the, the giving, or the, they call it a catalog of giving that they do each Christmas. And his ministry was at the top of the list. God came through because he prayed for the impossible, and God provided it. Um, let me read some verses here. Isaiah 55, eight, uh, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I've read these before. They are beautiful verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. The second thing that we see, um, that first one, I apologize, I didn't call you. It's called determining the dream. How do you find out what your dream is going to be? The second thing that we have to do is we have to trust the one who gives us the dream. All right? If you have this dream, you have to trust the one who gave you the dream if you want to see it fulfilled. Uh, Let me read uh, Numbers chapter 11. I'm going to read uh, 18 through 23. This is God speaking to, to Moses. He says, Tell the people, Consecrate yourselves in readiness for tomorrow, and you will eat meat, because you wept in the Lord's hearing. Because you wept in the Lord's hearing. Who will feed us meat? We were better off in Egypt funny how they forgot what they had just left the Lord will give you meat and you will eat you will eat not for one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days you will you will eat uh, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes nauseating to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and wept before him why did we ever leave Egypt now, I'm going I'm to stop right there. I'm going to pick it up here in just a second. God heard the cries of the people, and he said, fine, you want meat? You've forgotten how bad things were. Oh, you want some fish, and you want some garlic, and you want all that stuff? Fine. I'm going to send you meat, and I'm not just going to give it to you for one meal or two meals or for a week. You're going to have so much meat that the thought of eating meat is going to make you sick. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I did that one time with Starburst jelly beans. It was, uh, it was very unpleasant. Um, God was going to send them so much meat. And now here's, here's what happened. Moses heard this. And he goes, well, wait a second, God. And, and he, he comes he goes, to the beginning in verse 21, he says, but Moses replied, I'm in the middle of a people with 600,000 foot soldiers. Okay, 600,000 men. That doesn't include the women and the children and the babies and, and, and all of those. I've got 600,000 men. And yet you say, I will give them meat, and they will eat for a month. If flocks and herds were slaughtered for them, would they have enough? Or if all the fish in the sea were caught for them, would they have enough? Moses hears this thing that God is going to do, and he immediately does what most of us are going to do. How are you going to do it, God? How are you going to pay for it? Right? How are you going to provide? I've got 600,000 men. That's not including all of their families that go along with them. Right, we got all of these, all of these. If we killed every every flock that we were, every piece of cattle that we had and had you know big old barbecue, it's still not enough to feed them for a month. And if we fished and caught all of the fish, it's still not going to be enough for them. How are you going to do this? When God prompts us to pray for a miracle, one of the most important things for us to do is to make certain that we're trusting Him to come through with that miracle. I told you I'm praying for $60,000. I have no idea where that's coming from. I have no idea when it's coming. But you know what I believe? I believe it's going to happen. It may not be one big $60,000 check, and if it is, you're going to see me doing laps around Shenandoah Junction waving that piece of paper in the air. I'm going to be on the news like crazy dude waving a piece of paper in the air. If God does that, that's what my response is going to be. But I truly believe God is going to provide for that house. How he does it, that's up to him. I'm praying that he does it. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 says this. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And there are some miracles and there are some promises that are beyond our comprehension. They are beyond our human ability to... pardon me they are beyond our human ability to achieve them and those are the types of miracles that God loves to perform because when he performs those he's the only one who gets the credit he's the only one that can get the credit now I I talk about this a lot and you I I told you last week I warned you I'm going to talk about it probably uh, uh, until I'm not here anymore that block party last week 100% a miracle 100% 100% a miracle. And here's the reason why I say that. We had over, and I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I don't have the exact number, so I'm just going to say it. We had over 150 people on our campus. At any, at all of the people that came in and were here at some point, there were probably, there were between the workers and the people that visited and, and everybody else, there were 100, 150 plus people on our campus. By ourselves, we're a church of about 40 people on the regular. By ourselves, there is no way that we should have been able to get 150 people here. By ourselves, there's no way that that's possible. All of us would have had to gone out and found three or four other people and brought them with us. And I don't know how many people did that, right? But God provided the people. God provided the money. God provided the school supplies. Everything that was needed to be a part of that block party, God provided it. It was impossible for us but because God was in it, it was like a, a, a regular day at Grace Baptist. And I certainly hope that events like that become the regular for our church. So we're like, hey, we're going to have 200 people here. Let's do it. Right? I hope that we never, we, we, we never uh, look at a number like that and go, we can't do that. We can't do that. It, it did require some work on our part right? We had to advertise. We had to go buy the hot dogs. We had to drive to Morgantown to get the trailer, right? We had to do some work on our part, but God took our efforts and multiplied them beyond our ability to do it. The same thing happened with Moses. God told Moses that he was going to give the Israelites meat to eat, but it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't going to be just meat for a day or a meal. It was going to be an entire month, and Moses said, "I, I don't know how you're going to do this, God. I have no idea how this is going to happen, Verse 23 of Numbers 11 says this The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm weak? Now you will see whether or not I have, what I have promised will happen to you. When Moses is asking God, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, God looks at him and goes, What do you think? My arm's too short. Is my arm weak? Right. If you read back, I didn't put this in my notes, but I looked it up. Um, Exodus 8:19 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, because um, it's when all of the plagues are taking place, and the Egyptian magicians go, uh, that's God's finger, all right? If God was doing all of that with just his finger, imagine what he can do when he flexes his arm, all right? Imagine what God can do when he stands up, all right? And we saw that in Isaiah chapter 6, um, I think that one of the major reasons we don't see God do the amazing things that he did in the Bible is because we no longer think that he can. We, we let our rational side get the best of us, and we're like, well, that's not going to happen. Right? That's not going to happen. God can't do that anymore. The reason that things that happened in the Bible happened was because God, people in the Bible believed that God could. And I think that as soon as we start believing that God can do these things— He's going to start doing them on the regular. We're going to see them all of the time. We have, far too many of us have a small view of God. We tried to shrink God down to something that we could control and understand. There was a, a, a lady in England back in the uh, first part of the, the 20th century. She wrote this. A God small enough to, un, to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. We have a small view of God. We need to remember that if God has given us the dream, no matter how big that dream is, he will be faithful and he will fulfill that promise. Let me say that again. We need to remember that if God has given us the dream, no matter how big that dream is, he's gonna be faithful and he's gonna fulfill that promise. He promised Abraham that his children would outnumber the stars of the sky. And he told Abraham this before he had any children at all. He told Eve, he told Adam and Eve that one day some of her offspring were going to crush Satan's head. This was before they had Cain and Abel. And what happened centuries later? He fulfilled the promise when Jesus crushed Satan's head. And he promised Moses that he would provide the Israelites enough meat for the entire population to eat for a month. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, "'Look, I am the Lord, the God over every creature.'" Is there anything too difficult for me? All right. And then the third part of this is seeing the dream fulfilled. We have to trust the one who gave us the dream and then was seeing the dream fulfilled. Um, numbers, 31, 30, uh, numbers 11, uh, verses 31 and 32 says, A wind, excuse me, a wind sent by the Lord came up and blew quail in from the sea, it dropped them all around the camp. They were flying three feet off the ground for about a day's journey in every direction. The people were up all that night, all that day and night, and all the next day gathering the quail. The one who took the least gathered 50 bushels, right? The person that was slacking got 50 bushels of quail. And they spread them out all around the camp. When God answers prayers... He will sometimes do it in ways that not only exceed our expectations, completely blows them out of the water. This is what happened when God provided the meat for the Israelites. At, this, at the time of this event, the Israelites were in the wilderness of Paran, which was about 50 miles from the Dead Sea and about 50 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. I may have my geography mixed up, but okay. Um, they were they were they were stuck in the they were they were they were landlocked, okay? There was no water anywhere around them. Now quail, quail are birds that happen to, when they migrate, they they follow water sources. Right? So they can get the, the food and everything. Uh, another thing about quail is they don't fly. They can, but they prefer to walk. They can run pretty fast, but they they, they generally only fly for short distances. Um, most quail live in the same forty-acre spot their entire lives, so they they generally don't they don't leave the place that they were born their entire lives. They are they were not they're not built to survive long-distance flights. Okay, remember they're, the the children of Israel are landlocked. They're fifty miles from the nearest body of water, and then all of a sudden God says, "All right, you know what? I'm going to give I'm going to give you quail. I'm going to give you quail." What this means is that the quail were very far away from the Israelites and there was no way that they would have made it on their own. They're not going to run that distance, like use their little quail legs to run that distance to get there. Um, There's no way that it would have happened had it not been for God's intervention. Numbers 11 tells us that God sent a supernatural wind and sent a quail storm to the Israelites. It rained quail for what must have seemed like days. I mean, just quail falling out of the sky. When the storm was over, the quail were on the ground, according to some scholars, up to three feet deep and for as far as the eye could see. The Bible tells us that anywhere you look, anywhere you you stood and looked, you could see quail for a day's journey. A day's journey in the Bible was about 15 miles. Okay, so you're standing there, you're up to your your knees. Well, some of you are up to your waist because you're short, but... um, You know, for me, it's up to my knees in quail, and I'm looking, and all I can see anywhere I look for 15 miles is quail. All right? Uh, Mark Batterson did the math. He said it it was a radius, uh, a circle uh, of about 75 square miles. Just to give you some context, Washington, D.C. has has an area of about 68 and a half square miles. The area of quail that God provided was larger than Washington, D.C. I don't know if you've ever walked around D.C. It's a big place. It's a big place. Um, No matter which direction the people walked, there were quail. That was a lot of meat. When God answers a prayer, he does it in incredible ways. Now, we don't always know how God is going to answer our prayer, and he doesn't always answer our prayers the way we are expecting or praying for him to. I'm praying for $60,000. There are times where I pray that it comes in one check. Do I believe God can send it to me in one check? Absolutely. God may not answer my prayer in that fashion. He may send me two $30,000 checks. I'm still running through the streets, waving them in the air. All right? Like, Diana, don't don't cash it yet. Let me wave it around for a little bit. All right? And sometimes, sometimes he answers our prayer completely differently than what we were expecting. Sometimes we mistake a no or a not yet as God's failure to answer our prayer. When this happens, our response is to keep circling the prayer and to keep taking it before God. God, Tim Keller, uh, a pastor from uh, New York, wrote this: God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knows. God's gonna either give us what we're asking, or if we knew, like if we could see what God can see, we're gonna you sometimes my kids want candy. I'm like, no, here, have some vitamins. All right? They're asking for candy. Sometimes I give them candy. Most of the time I give them candy. Like, whatever, just go eat. All right? Sometimes I give them, like, snacks or or vitamins because I know what's best for them. Same thing's happening here with God. In May 2016, in May 2016, I got a text message that was going to change my life and was going to change the course of my family going forward. I had no idea what that was going to look like at the time. All right. The former pastor of this church sent me a text and asked me if I would be willing to come and preach at the church for the summer. All right, and then that was as far as it was supposed to go. It was supposed to go till the end of the summer, and then I was going to shake hands and I was going to go back to teaching junior high Sunday school at the church down the road. Um, and it, that's what was going to happen. I had always believed that God had called me into ministry, but after a couple of starts and stops. I began, to, I began to think that God was, was setting that call aside and leading me in a different direction. However, since it was only going to be for the summer, I said, okay, all right, I'll do it. I'll come, I'll come preach with you guys for the summer. And we started going through the book of Colossians. Well, that summer was soon over because, you know, the summertime, you blink and it's done. All right? And the real challenge was in front of us because in September, Joey said, look, man, we don't have anybody. We need you to stick around. And I thought, I said, well... I'm at a new school. I'm teaching a new grade. There were all of these reasons to say no. There were all of these reasons to say I can't do it. But for some crazy reason, (laughs) I said yes. And I stuck around. Now, most people would look at that question and think I'm crazy. And and when I tell people, they're like, what do you do? Like, I'm a teacher and I'm a pastor. They go, do you ever sleep? Do you ever, do you ever, how do you, how are you not comatose right now? And the only way is because God's grace has sustained us through everything. There are times when Tina and I have no idea how we're holding everything together. And I think she, would, excuse me, I think she would agree with that. But had I not said yes, I would have not had the privilege to baptize three of my five children. I baptized some of your children, all right? Excuse me, right? Tina and I have made some incredible friends. We've seen people give their lives to Jesus, right? And none of that would have happened. I mean, I'm sure some of it would have happened. It would not have gone down the way that it had if I had, excuse me, if I had not been open to God's calling. If I had looked at and said, look, I'll come for the summer, but when that's over, I gotta go because teaching's more important. Had I not followed God's calling, had I not been open to the dream and the miracle that God was providing, then none of the things that we have experienced together as a church family would have gone the way that they did. Right? There are some of you that are sitting here today that I never would have had the opportunity to meet. Some of y'all are mad at me, I, I understand that. Some of you get mad at me and that's okay. I get mad at some of you sometimes. Joan's laughing, she knows what I'm talking about. All right, even when something seems foolish, when God is in it, the outcome always brings him glory. I said at the beginning that each of us has hopes and dreams. Some of those dreams are to fulfill our own desires, but others are to do big things for the kingdom of God. If you have one of those dreams, here's what I need you to do. I need you to write it down. Get a notebook, get a prayer journal in the front of your Bible. Write down whatever that dream may be, and I want you to circle it. And every time you pray for it, I want you to circle it. And I want you to keep circling that dream until you see God fulfill it. Ask God to fulfill that promise because it's most likely from him. Write it down. I've also said that too many of us don't ask for big, audacious requests because our view of God is too small. We say we believe in a God who created the universe, but the God that we believe in isn't bigger than our cancer diagnosis. We say we believe in the God that created everything, but that God is not bigger than our wayward child. Right? And so we look at these things and we can't get past it because our view of God is too small. Here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember what God said to Moses, is my arm too weak? God is bigger than every single one of our problems. God is bigger than our flooding basement. Right? God is bigger than the hole on the roof. God is bigger than $60,000. Right? That is the God that I believe in. Right? Whatever your problem is, whatever you are facing, whatever seems insurmountable, here's what I need you to remember. God is bigger. Keep circling it. Keep praying for it. Whatever you are praying for, keep circling. No matter how big it might be, keep circling it. Keep dreaming about it. Keep Praying for it. We serve a God who is not bound by the finite. He is infinite and nothing is beyond, excuse me, nothing is beyond his ability. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, excuse me. Lord, we come before you and we, we lift up our dreams. We lift up our hopes, Lord. I, I have shared with the church what my hopes and dreams are, that, that we would grow spiritually, that we would become more like your son. Lord, I, I shared that I want us to grow numerically so we can have an impact and we can push back the darkness here in Jefferson County. I've shared about the $60,000 uh, payment that we need to make on the property behind us. Lord, those are, those are my hopes and dreams, and I truly believe that you have given them to me. And Lord, as I look out over the the congregation today, and and I know that there are some people watching us on Facebook or or later this week will interact with us somehow through through something that have hopes and dreams that have come from you. Lord, it it, it may be something that seems insurmountable, something that um, they they have no idea how it's going to take place. It may be something that uh, we're, we're dreaming of doing for you. But Lord, I ask that you would reveal those things to us. Lord, let us know how you're going to fulfill your promise because we know that you have. when you make a promise that you are going to fulfill it. Lord, I know that there are people here in the, in the church this morning who have burdens that, that they need to lay down, that they need to, to give to you and circle it knowing that you're going to answer them. Lord, I don't know entirely what they are, but I know that uh, each one of us has hopes and dreams. And so, Father... I pray that you would reveal to us what you want us to do. I pray that you would reveal to us how you're going to answer our prayers. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the perseverance to continue to pray and continue to circle. Lord, that our faith would grow so much by seeing you answer prayer. That things like having 200 people on this, uh, on this piece of property, it becomes commonplace for us, Lord. Lord, that, that our faith would grow to that. That we would come to understand that our God is not too small and that nothing is impossible for you. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to give their life to you or has a burden to lay down, I pray that today would be the day that it's done. Lord, touch each one of our hearts. Help us to be new people as a result of being here. We ask this in your name. Amen.